invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And uh, you can kind of put a bookmark here. We're going to be here actually for three Sundays in a row as we prepare for Christmas. And would really encourage you over the next month, this is a great Bible passage, Philippians 2, to memorize. It's just, it's packed full of uh, pure gold that relate to a bundle of different different things. And we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, 1 through uh, 18 over the next couple of, of weeks. And as we prepare to do that, let's get the bad news out of the way uh, right away this morning. I think we could all agree this morning that currently our culture is toxic. Very, very toxic. You can look in a variety of in environments to see the effects of this. You can look in the local School districts, we've got more behavior specialists than, than ever before. You can look at different campaigns that are going on around the community and around the country about anti-bullying. You can just look at any environment, right? When you get ready for the family supper, you're hoping that certain topics don't come up because if it just comes up, everybody just kind of starts to turn on one another. Not only that, in the sense of toxic, of it's just really on edge, and very frankly, in the simplest ways of explaining it to you, people are just really mean right now to one another. That's just the reality. It's not just the political environment. It's, it's spilled out into anything and everything. But it's, it's not just that, though. We also have a very toxic culture in the sense of warped, in the sense of dirty, in that it's not pure as God desires it to be pure. There, there's so much that's, that's happening that there's so much confusion around what's right and, and what's wrong. There's so much confusion about what might be good for you, might not be good for me. It's a toxic world that we live in. Our televisions are filled now with stuff for the most part that you read the Bible and it's, just, it's, it's not just the opposite, it's like, it's polar opposites of, of one another. Again, this isn't one of the, oh, uh, hell, everything's going to hell in a hand basket. You know, how, on one, that's true, though, on one hand. Is it, it is bad. It's really toxic. So the question really becomes, how do we live in a toxic culture? One where we treat each other poorly, one where things take place that God would not approve of? How do we live in the midst of that culture? Christians take a variety of positions on this issue. Some Christians believe that we should really withdraw. And you know what? We should, we should really just kind of shore up our foundation, shore up our walls, and, and you know, don't let them in. Don't let them in. Protect what we got. Other Christians are kind of in, in the camp of, you know what, things are evolving, changing, we've got to have some open minds, maybe we were wrong, maybe the Bible's not that right any longer, and so we, we, we can change a lot of stuff, let's just make sure we don't change some stuff. And so you kind of in that camp, you got like, let's just go with culture, and you get the other camp of, let's just fight against culture and ignore culture. And so you can see how both extremes end up driving the conversation, right? On one end of the spectrum, I won't name any names, but you've got 
famous religious leaders in America, right, that are pro-certain political figures and are constantly screaming at this group over here, right? And you've got this group over here, which doesn't really have a lot of political figures, but has religious leaders in it, yelling back at these religious leaders over here, telling them that you're unloving, et cetera, et cetera. So then what happens? The extremes force the middle to even to start to get extreme. And so you're forced on one side or the other in the midst of a toxic culture. Well, how should we live in that toxic culture? I believe that Philippians chapter 2 actually brings us right to how God would have us respond to a toxic culture. And it's actually interesting that Philippians 2 is actually the Christmas story at the exact same time. And so over the next couple of weeks, what we get to do is we get to reflect upon the Christmas story and then ask the question, how does the Christmas story affect or impact how we live in the middle of a toxic culture? So that's kind of what we're going to be kind of navigating over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be reflecting upon the Christmas story and then we're going to be asking, how does that influence how we live right now? And hopefully you'll see the connection. Philippians 2 bases all the behavior off of the Christmas story. So let's dig in here, Philippians 2, beginning with the first verse. Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray now as we turn our hearts to your word that your word would shape our thinking, your word would deliver your promise, and your spirit would seal that promise in our hearts. So we pray now that you'd come, teach us, have your way among us. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think of Christmas, what do you hear and what do you see? When you think of Christmas, what do you hear and what do you see? There's all sorts of sights and sounds when it comes to Christmas. And unfortunately, this last week, my house began to even add some sights 
that uh, I just got to give you a fair warning. Some of your houses may begin to have some sights and sounds that you weren't planning on. But Christmas brings all of these sights and sounds. You have lights, you have music, all sorts of decorations and different things. I grew up in my house, my father, kind of a nerd. I guess this is recorded so you can hear this now. Kind of, kind of a nerd. He grew up, and he's, he puts speakers kind of in just random places all over the place. And so we grew up just Christmas music all of the time in different places. Big into just blaring that music wherever and whenever. Maybe some of you, when you think about Christmas, have the sound of children and, and the opening of gifts. Maybe when some of you think of Christmas, you have a certain site, that, that certain place where you like to gather, where your perfect place of going down to the falls and, and seeing the lights, wherever that might be. This morning, I want to encourage you with a different sound that you may have not heard when you think of Christmas before. I would contend this morning that in Philippians chapter 2, when we hear Christmas, we should hear this, God is for us. When you hear Christmas, you should hear you are significant. When you think about Christmas, we should hear screams that God is for us. Well, I would contend this morning that most people don't know that God is for them, even though they supposedly know Christmas. Because for the most part, we don't know the Christmas story. We know the characters of Christmas, but most of the time we miss the message of Christmas. Most people are familiar with the shepherds, the angels, Mary and Joseph, some innkeeper who they think said something, and some stable, manger, da-da-da-da, wise men, all sorts of stuff. At the end of the day, the shepherds don't matter at all. The magi don't matter at all. The innkeeper, if existed, doesn't matter at all. The stable doesn't make a difference. At the end of the day, Mary and Joseph don't matter at all. There's nothing that any of them can do for your life today. The shepherds who came to visit Jesus in the stable, they can't do anything for you. Nothing. Mary can't do anything for you. There's only one message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is what we started the service with today in Matthew chapter 1, where the prophet says, Behold, the virgin will give birth, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. The message of Christmas is that God entered into human flesh. The word that we use for this at seminary and theology is incarnation. Maybe you've heard the phrase incarnation before. Philippians chapter 2 is kind of the Bible passage that referred to that says, describes the incarnation. Very simply this, the incarnation is Jesus becoming fleshly. So if I say to you that I'm going to incarnate with you, what that means is this, I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm going to understand what it means to be you. I'm going to take on your experiences. I'm going to take on your lifestyle. So sometimes you maybe have heard stories about how kings would leave their castles and they would go out and sometimes they'd use the phrase, would incarnate among the peasants. What that meant was they were trying to understand what it meant to live like a peasant. So they would leave behind all of their royalties and that they would go out and live as a peasant so they could understand what the people were living like underneath their reign and their rule. 
Christmas is all about God taking on the human flesh. The reason that we get so excited about a baby in a manger is because that baby is God in flesh. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2 here, verses 6 and 7, where I really want to hone in on and ask that you would really start here and memorize these two verses first. 6 and 7 describes the Christmas story without any of the characters that most of us are familiar with. Who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, the Apostle Paul here is trying to use actually some music. This was originally a hymn that he's quoting here. A, a hymn, a, some song that they sung about the person of Jesus. They're trying to use some human language to describe what happened. And what happened? Well, it says, though he was in the form of God. In other words, a way of understanding this was that even though Jesus had the substance of God, Jesus did not say, you know what, I'm going to remain with these rights. I'm going to retain this power and glory. What happens is this, Jesus voluntarily empties himself, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So at Christmas, what you have in the manger and the baby is you have God in flesh. Because what Philippians 2 is saying here is saying that Jesus left the throne room of heaven and came down to the stable. Very simply put, Christmas is God with us. That God taking on human flesh. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Because most people with power and privilege do what? Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Right? When, when you, somebody has power and privilege, you usually go visit them. God does not ask that his creation ascend to him, but what does God do? God descends to his creation. This is the whole message of Christianity, is that we don't go to God, God came to us. There's not a stairway that you get yourself to God. It actually started in the Old Testament. You might be familiar with the story, the Tower of Babel. What were they doing? They were trying to build this big tower to get up into the heavens and reach God. And what does God do? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. See you later. And then just scatters them everywhere. Why? Significant. Because we can't go to God. We're dependent upon God coming to us. And in Philippians 2, it's, what's saying, it's saying, Jesus had all of this privilege and power, and what he did is he said, I'm going to lay it aside. I'm going to lay it aside. Now, here's maybe the way you've never thought about this before. Why is he going to lay it aside? we got to unpack this a little bit, so let's look here and Philippians 2, and I want you to jump back up with me in verses 3 and 4. So, so follow along here. We're going to start with, why did Jesus lay aside that power and privilege? Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, right, right there, what I just read, that's a command to you and I. That's a command to you and I. So what does that say about Jesus, though? Well, 
Let's look here. It says in the next verse, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Some of your versions might say, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus. So what it's saying here in this verse is saying, hey, what we just commanded you about humility and seeking this others first is what? That's the mindset of Jesus Christ. The reason that you and I are encouraged to have this humility where we consider others more significant than ourselves is because what? It was the mindset of Jesus Christ. And so now it's going into the verses we just talked about describing this humility of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus leave heaven? Because he considered you more significant than his power and privilege. Jesus left heaven because he considered humanity more significant than his power and his privilege. This is his mindset. This is the way he thinks. Very simply put, you're significant. Do you realize that's what Christmas is screaming to you about today? That Christmas tells us that God does not abandon his creation, but he comes to creation. This is so different than all other religious systems. All other religious systems are built off of getting to God, and then at some point, that God destroying everything else. Because creation is dirty in the other religious systems. There's stuff wrong with the physical realm. But what does the creator of the universe do? He doesn't abandon his creation, but he comes to his creation. Why? Because he considers you significant. God left the throne room of heaven because you are significant. We've got a major problem with self-esteem in our culture. This is a big issue, right? If I asked this morning for a poll, <clears throat> and we went around the room and said, how many of you have ever struggled with self-esteem? There would be a lot of hands, right? Right? This is a big issue. We go to counselors, doctors, psychiatrists. We go to all sorts of stuff for this. I don't want to make light of it at all. We have a major challenge of how we think of ourselves. Most people don't think of themselves as significant. Why do we have the highest suicide rate in the world? In the world of all industrialized nations. Why does the second richest nation in the world have the highest suicide rate? People don't understand how significant they are. You're willing to take your own life when you have no thought of your significance. Self-esteem is a big issue. And bad self-esteem causes us to do all sorts of weird stuff. Do you know that bad self-esteem actually creates bad behavior? Because when you don't think of yourself as significant, what do you do? You've got to get someone else to think of you as significant. And so you've got to do stuff to get other people to like you. Right? Think of some of the stupid stuff some of us have done, right? You look even after the moment, you're like, well, why did I do that? 
Everyone else was doing it. Why? So that everyone else would like you, think you're cool. This is the substance of the majority of our lives. Trying to get others to like us. Because in our core, we don't understand how significant we are. This morning, Christmas is screaming to you, saying, you are significant. God is for you. The proof is in the manger that God left the throne room of heaven because God has humility where he considers others more significant than himself. And so when he gives us the command and he says to you and I today, he says, hey, consider others more significant to yourself. What he's saying is this, is he's saying, that's the mindset of God. So you need to have the same mindset. So, so today, there's one phrase you need to know and then one question you need to answer. The phrase that you need to know is this, you are significant. God is for you. The question you need to answer is this. Do the people around you know they're significant? Do the people around you know they're significant? And you say, what, what, what? How did you hop from, from, you know, we're significant to they're significant? Well, let's go back here to verse 3 and 4 in Philippians 2. What again, remember, this is a command. This is an exhortation. He says what? Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is a command to you and I. The Apostle Paul is writing under the power of the Holy Spirit, saying to you and I, hey, 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 look at other people and say this. They're more significant than I am. In other words, look at other people and say, I'm going to put their interests before my own interests. Why? Because this is what God did. God put our interests before his own interests. And so today, do the people around you know how significant they are? Are you and I reflecting the spirit of Christmas? We hear a lot of this, right? We need to get back in the spirit of Christmas. And most of the time it simply means this, saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. Right? That, that's all they really mean. I got no idea what most people mean by spirit of Christmas, feel good. Do you want to know what the true spirit of Christmas is? The true spirit of Christmas is humility. Right here in Philippians 2, the spirit of Christmas is saying, I'm going to consider the interests of others before myself because this is the spirit, the mindset that put Jesus in the manger. And so if you want to reflect the spirit of Christmas this season, what you need to do is you need to say, I'm going to put the interest of somebody else before my own interest. Begin to build the mentality that others before self. Well how, well, how can I do that? You, Pastor, you're telling me that I'm a big deal, I'm significant, that God left heaven for me, but now you're telling me that I should put others before myself? Which is it? Well, here's the reason that you can put others before yourself. Because you have plenty of confidence and strength from the fact that you know God left the throne room of heaven. This is why you can say it's not about me, because what? You're taken care of. You're fully satisfied and content in that you know God is for you. This is why you can now say, you know what? I'm going to leave myself and live for others. Here's the problem. Most of us only get to this point. 
we get to the point of deferring to others rather than preferring others. There's a big difference. My in-laws are great people. I do not want to talk down to my in-laws at all. However, one challenge is in the selection of restaurants. It is unbearable when it comes to supper time because nobody can make a decision. I am not exaggerating. You can spend 30 minutes. You can spend an hour. You can spend an afternoon. You can spend the whole month of November. And everybody just says, well, what do you want? Well, what do you want? Make a decision. Here's what they're doing. They're deferring to the other. And it just drags on and on and on. And finally, somebody, that's why God put me in the picture. He's like, this family will never eat unless you marry into it. But you, what happens is this, is you're deferring to one another. You just kind of say, whatever you want. And sometimes, you know what, then you decide. And it's like, well, I'm just going to choose what I want then. And it might not be what they want, but they're deferring. That's a big difference between deferring and saying, well, what you want and saying this. I want what you want. So the pizza in, huh, I want the pizza in like you want the pizza in. How many of you, how many of you grew up taking dance class in middle school? Not the, what? Let me rephrase it. I forgot the age of our congregation. How, how many of you grew up learning dance in a one-room schoolhouse? No, what's going on here? I don't, all I know is this. You know, we grew up, we learned dance in school and gym class. That's the way they used to teach it, right? And that was like, that was torture, right? You're just like, is everybody following now? Okay, gym class dancing? All right, there we go. I don't know what was going on. My daughter's always telling me I need to preach clear. Maybe she's on to something. Now, middle, the dance class in gym is, is horrible, right? Now, it wasn't really until I was in high school that I really began to become the buff that I am today. And, and so before that, you're in the middle of learning dance. What's happening? You're getting ready for gym, and all you're thinking about is what? Oh, who am I going to get to dance with today? Here's the problem. When you're 5'7 and built like a small red potato, most of the time it's like this. You're chosen last. Now, it's a challenge being chosen last for kickball. Think about being chosen last for dancing. There's a big difference when the cutest girl in class is like, hey, I guess I'll dance with you. And the cutest girl in class is like, I'll dance with you. Right? There's a big difference between deferring, well, I guess we're left, and what? Will you go to prom with me? Now, that, again, happened in high school all the time, but not in those younger years. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. He's saying, hey, we're not in the business of deferring to one another. It's like, well, it's whatever you want, Frank. No, it's like this. What Frank wants becomes my preference. This is where most of us are missing it. We've turned to neutral rather than actually taking the full swing of coming to the point and saying, I want what that person wants. This is the mindset of Christ. 
It's actually preferring what the other person prefers. Can you imagine what would happen to our marriages? When we said, you know what, I'm no longer going to defer to my spouse, but I'm going to begin to prefer what my spouse wants. Can you begin what happened to our parenting with our children if we said, well, I guess if my kid wants to be in this, I'll go along with it. And we said to ourselves, you know what, my kid wants this, I'm going to want this. Can you imagine what would happen in our workplaces with those who we supervise if we said, you know, that's your goal, get go after it. If we said, you know what, no, that's your goal, that's now my goal too. We have to begin to prefer one another, not just defer to one another. Do you have the mindset of Christ that says, I'm for this person. I don't just want bad stuff not to happen. I want good stuff to happen. This is us as followers of Christ in a toxic culture. Can you imagine the difference if we said, I want what this person wants. It's, this is so different and so countercultural radical. It's not just not saying something bad about someone. It's saying something good about them and helping them work towards it. Do you have the mindset of Jesus Christ that says, I'm going to consider others more significant than myself. I'm not going to look only to my interests, but to their interests. Look with me here in verse 4, Philippians 2. We're going to get really geeky and academic for just a moment. We've got the English translation, which is an amazing gift. The Bible was originally written in different languages. New Testament was written in Greek. In verse 4, where it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest. Interest is not in the original language. It's, let each of you look not only to his own, but also to others. Its interest is not in either spot there in verse 4. It's all about this. It's all about looking to the other's financial good. It's all about looking to the other's emotional good. It's all about looking to the other's physical good. It's not just an, an interest or, or, or a thinking thing. It's their whole being, their whole life looking to the good of their whole life. You can just fill in the blank with whatever after looking to the others, whatever. Are you prepared today to spread the spirit of Christmas? The spirit of Christmas is when you and I say, I'm going to look to the other's interests before I look to my own interests because I consider them significant. Because this is the very thing that Jesus Christ did in the throne room of heaven, literally. He said, I'm going to set aside my power and my privilege because I consider my creation significant. Today, burn it into your heart, burn it into your mind. God is for you. He's not against you. You are significant in the eyes of God. When you look at every manger scene that you have in your house, that you drive by this Christmas season, let that manger remind you, God is for you. He has not abandoned you. The ultimate message that God is for us is that God did not send his son Jesus to be a living example. He's not like, these people need to learn humility. Jesus, get down there and teach them a lesson. 
It's out of his humility that he comes to us. For what? To be a savior. Luke 2.11. For unto you this day in the town of David, what? A savior is born. God is for us. And the proof is that he sent his son to save us. You are significant. God wants to save you. And now God wants you and I to represent, to have that same mindset in our lives. He wants us to consider others more significant than ourselves. And so today, let's get really practical for a moment. I want to ask you this. Is it in your workplace? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Is it in your friendships? That you specifically need to say, I need to exhibit the mindset of Christ. Which of those? Right now, I just want you to pick one of them. Marriage, parenting, workplace, neighborhood, school. Which one do you want to specifically say, God, give me more humility here to reflect the mindset of Christ so I can begin to prefer others. Above all, you need to know, I need to know, that God is for us. Because God left the throne room of heaven and came to a manger so that you and I would have a Savior. What could happen in a culture that's toxic if people began to say, you're significant, you're significant, you're significant? What if people began to understand their significance is not based upon their wealth. It is not based upon their ethnicity. It is not based upon their abilities. It is based upon the fact that the creator of this universe loves them enough to leave the throne room of heaven for them. Today, know it in your own heart that God is for you, for you are significant. Our final song says it all this morning. And as we sing this final song, I want you to think about this song and then go home and I want you to read Philippians 2 again. Because this final song really sings Philippians 2. It begins by saying, Jesus, in the throne room of heaven, does the ultimate act of love. He comes. And then the song builds and gets to the point of what? The cross is enough. That's Philippians 2. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, becoming obedient, even obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. God is for us. It starts in the manger, and it goes all the way to the cross. Let's sing together this morning and declare the message of Christmas that Jesus is for us, for he was born for us, and he has died for us on the cross. Let us pray. Everlasting God, thank you. Thank you for coming for us. This morning, Lord, I want to lift up and pray for anyone that's struggling with self-esteem. Lord, I ask that you'd capture their minds and their hearts this morning, that you'd burn by the power of your Holy Spirit significance in their hearts and their minds. Make it known to them right now, O oh Lord, how precious they are in your sight. And I pray now, O oh Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would shape and form our minds and our hearts that we could share with others how significant they are in the way that we prefer them. So God, form in us 
the same mindset that brought Jesus to the manger. We praise you and we honor you in Christ's name.